The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 17, Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The text of scripture here cited is teaching that if I attempt to gain by violence, I'm actually setting a trap for myself. I may think, I may believe that I'm setting a trap for someone else, but I'm actually setting a trap for myself. Now, jealousy, envy can drive me to hate someone. It can drive me to want to crush someone, to get them out of the way. I may believe I'm entitled to what they have. I may believe I'm more deserving than they to enjoy what they enjoy. The Bible here says it, it's useless. It's useless to spread a net in the sight of a bird. Or in other words, you won't lay a trap. It doesn't make any sense to lay a trap for someone while they're watching you laying a trap for them. So you lay traps in secret. You go around the back in secret to lay traps for people that you don't like, that you have animosity towards. The Bible here, though, says, okay, so it's useless. You can, you can work in secret to set a trap for someone else. But, but while you lie in wait trying to destroy someone else, it says you're actually ambushing your own life. You don't realize it, but the trap that you're setting for someone else is actually going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. And then verse 19 here in Proverbs 1, it says, So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. And this, this lesson is played out in this week's Sabbath school lesson. And it's on Daniel chapter 6 that contains the story of Daniel, the faithful Hebrew captive in no longer, he's no longer in Babylon, Babylonian captivity. He's now under the reign of the Persian kings and in particular, King Darius. There are men who are jealous of him. He has been set up, the Bible tells us, as one of the three chief governors in the nation, just positioned, just, just right under the king. In authority and he keeps along with the other two governors he keeps the satraps the rulers of various territories of the Persian Empire accountable and accountable to the king so that the king does not lose financially economically and perhaps politically as well and so these are advocates for the king advocates for the king and it says in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel distinguishes himself among these three chief counselors or chief governors. And because he distinguishes himself, they're jealous of him. They are angry about the fact that he excels. It provokes them. And the Bible says that the reason he distinguishes them himself is because he has an excellent spirit. His excellent spirit drives him to excellent service and excellent performance in his job. And this is a powerful lesson for the Christ follower, for the believer. We should strive to develop an excellent spirit in us. We cannot develop an excellent spirit in ourselves without deep 
and meaningful connection with the Holy Spirit who is sent from Jesus to distribute to us gifts and character qualities for the sake of serving God and serving the world around us. And Daniel was a man of deep devotion, deep commitment, and profound faith. And he prayed regularly. This this chapter of scripture here in Daniel chapter 6 indicates that Daniel was a man of prayer. Ellen White says in one place that it's men of prayer who are men of power. And Daniel didn't seek power to be, you know, he didn't seek high and lofty positions. He just sought the Spirit of God and the will of God in his life, and he followed God wherever God led him. And he was radically faithful. He was radically committed because he loved God, and the name of God was written in his heart, in his forehead. And, and so, yeah, there's an excellent spirit in Daniel, and he's doing excellent work, and this distinguishes him above the other governors. Now, I don't suppose that they would be jealous of him if they had his spirit, if they were all about service and blessing others and being of use to the kingdom. Now, maybe they were like that to, a, to an extent, like maybe to some degree, to some extent, they wanted to better the nation. But I think that the source of their jealousy was their motive. And their motive was to be great and to be important. And when they saw someone else being greater than them or being advanced above them, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't, they couldn't take it. And this is such a good lesson for us. We've got to be careful not to be jealous of what God does in the lives of other people in the church. We should just praise God when his word is being uplifted or his, 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 his gospel is being his gospel commission is being furthered. We may feel entitled to a position or a promotion or a certain level of prestige in the church, and we may see other people being advanced above us, or at least what we suppose to be to th- what we suppose is being advanced above us. We shouldn't be jealous. We shouldn't be envious. We should just focus on developing in ourselves an excellent spirit and let God deal with where we end up. We're all too ambitious, I think, in the church, all too worried about power and position and being important. We are important because Jesus died for us. We're important because God loves us. We are invaluable to God. Each one of us is a unique creation of God through Jesus. And we should feel satisfied in that fact. And we should be complete in that. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, And I can't remember the specific verse, but it begins like this. It says, let let no one beguile you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and the traditions of men and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. These other governors and satraps and rulers who became jealous of Daniel and how he distinguished himself with excellent service because of his excellent spirit. They conspired together to to find fault with the guy. In Daniel chapter 6, it shows us that they begin to investigate his life, to find fault with the guy in regards to his governmental affairs and his professional conduct, and they find nothing, nothing. The guy, Daniel, is exemplary on any and every level. So there's no hidden secrets. There's no skeletons in the closet. He's got none to hide. He's living before God honestly, openly, and genuinely. And they can't find anything against him. But these conspirers, these jealous, sick people, 
they uh, decide that they're going to find fault with Daniel in regards to his religion. So they go to Darius, the king, and they speak with Darius and propose to him. They make a proposition to, to Darius that no one in the kingdom can pray to any other ruler or god besides the king. The king is the only person who can receive any requests from any person for a specific period of time. I think it's a month. It, it says in Daniel chapter 6 that it was 30 days that they proposed to the king that no one could pray to anyone else or make requests of anyone else, a god or other person, besides the king of Persia. So, Persia. so these men are conspiring. They're, they're setting a net for Daniel. They're setting a trap. And they have no idea that they, by the end of the story, are going to be caught in the net that they're setting for someone else, just like the book of Proverbs predicts. Now, the king decides that he will accept their suggestion. He'll, he'll accept their proposal. And he'll make a decree that for 30 days, no one can pray to any other ruler or king or God besides him. And so he does it. He does it. He makes the decree. In that decree that, that's mentioned that he makes the decree in verse 9 of Daniel chapter 6. Now, it, it, it dawns on me that the king would have been flattered by this proposal of his governmental leaders, the officials in the nation. And, and flattery is a dangerous thing. It can disorient you and it can make you careless. So the king, Darius, loved Daniel. We learned this in the narrative. He valued Daniel. He, obviously, he was going to promote him. The chapter says to be like the second in command over all of the governors, over all of the satraps. So he obviously valued Daniel's service. And at the end of this story in Daniel chapter 6, it, it, it's clear that the king loves Daniel. He values Daniel. He treasures Daniel. He sees the usefulness that Daniel brings to the government and to the society. And, and he, he doesn't want him in any way to be harmed. So, so the king loves Daniel, but, he, but he's duped. He's tricked. He's, he's fooled by his governors who flatter him. It, it would seem as if they're coming to him in a spirit of, of loyalty, right? Like if you want no one else to be prayed to besides the king, that seems to indicate that that's because you love the king. You, you want the king to be exalted and, and whatnot. And so you can imagine that on a psychological, emotional level, the king is thinking, well, this is amazing. This loyalty of these men who esteem me so highly and want no one else to receive prayers and petitions except for me because that's how much they value my rule, my reign. And, and <laughs> it's easy to allow your ego to, to run away with you. And this is what happens to the king. He makes a decision that he otherwise wouldn't have made because he was flattered. And his ego was, was, was fed by the suggestion that no one should be allowed to pray for 30 days to anyone else or make requests of anyone else. He, he forgot. He forgot the devotion of Daniel. He forgot the commitment of Daniel. He forgot the religion of Daniel. And that Daniel would not, not, and he not followed this, this commandment. And the Bible says on multiple occasions in, in Daniel chapter 6 that the laws 
of the Medes and the Persians, once a king made a law, established a law, uh, it was irrevocable. It could not be changed. And of all people, Daniel would have known this. And the Bible says in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. So I pray three times a day because God is my light. God is my life. God is my savior. He's my strong tower of refuge. He's my friend. I am a child of God and I pray to God three times a day because I need to commune with heaven. I need to access uh, the, be, the, the, the power of God and live a transcendent life above the earthly and sensual and temporary. I desire an eternal kingdom. So I reach out to God three times a day. This is Daniel's attitude, his disposition. And uh, he does that when there's no death decree, when he's perfectly free under the law to do it. And he does it when it's illegal. He knows the laws of the Medes and the Persians don't change. So he hears about this law. How does he respond? How does he react? Does he pray in secret? Does he cloak himself under, you know, does he cloak himself under circumstances that can hide the fact that he's praying? Does he choose to, well, I'm going to fast for praying for 30 days? No. He opens his windows on his rooftop and he prays towards Jerusalem three times a day, just like he always did. There are certain areas in our lives that we should never compromise. Never. Ellen White says that prayer is the breath of the soul. If you don't breathe, your body will die. I mean, I've been doing some breathing exercises over the last few months. And uh, I'm able to hold my breath now after doing certain exercises for three minutes, roughly three minutes, sometimes up to three and a half. I've gotten up to four minutes at times. Um, so I'd imagine maybe world records are in the range of maybe 10 seconds, I don't know, 10 minutes. I don't know how, how long is maybe 10, 15 minutes a human has been able to hold their breath, but that's not a very long time before you die. 15 minutes is long compared to the average person's ability to hold their breath, but really, it's not that. It's not that, that long a time. You know, you need to breathe. You need to breathe. And if you don't breathe, you die. You, your body, you'll go unconscious and you'll die. So if prayer is the breath of the soul, what happens to your soul if you don't pray? If you don't connect with God, if you don't commune with God, your Savior, your Lord, your Creator, your Maker, the one who holds your breath in His hands, the one, who, the one in whom you live and move and have your being, your soul will die. You will die on a spiritual level. And what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And what would a man give in exchange for his soul. Daniel will not sell his soul for comfort, power, convenience, or for it. Even, even to, to save his own life. Or even to save his own life. In some areas, you cannot compromise. 
we, we should be compromising people, like in the sense that we'll make compromises on non-moral issues. We want to be diplomatic and we want to be uh, charitable and understanding and flexible people who don't make majors out of minors in non-essential matters that aren't fundamental to our faith. Yeah, be negotiable, be, be diplomatic, be flexible. That's cool. Be liberal, be generous, whatever. But in essential issues, in fundamental issues, you cannot compromise. Not even if it costs your life, because eternal life is more important than temporary life, that's for sure. There's a missionary named Jim Elliott who gave his life in the Ecuadorian jungles in the 1950s doing missionary service. And he penned a statement that I think that would have resonated well with Daniel the prophet. He said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Daniel knew his life was in God's hands. And he trusted himself to God, his creator, his redeemer, his Lord. And I think we should do the same by all means. And so Daniel just throws himself into the arms of God, knowing that it's probably going to cost him his life. How precious were those prayers to Daniel? They meant more to him than staying alive, than keeping his position. And so he prayed God in heaven, please send us men like Daniel to lead in our church. Men who would prefer to keep praying to you than, than over staying alive. Men who would prefer to keep praying to you than staying alive. So, yeah, pretty powerful example. You got to love Daniel. What a, what a powerful, faith-filled man of God. As the story goes, the Bible says these men in verse 11 of Daniel 6, came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and prayer before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king. Schemers, man, schemers. They approached before the king, the one that they had feigned loyalty to, but they were just using loyalty as a pretext to hide their wicked designs to destroy a good man who was a blessing to their nation. Oh, this is just so unreal. And this happens, by the way, this happens in religious circles. But we won't go too much into that because it might embarrass some people. It says, then they approached and spoke before the king in verse 12. Hey, king, did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king said, yeah, that's right. And the law can't be revoked. And then the men reveal their plot. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. You know, at this moment, these guys are going, yes. You know, like the proverb said, it's futile to set a trap in the sight of any bird or set a snare in front of a bird while the bird's watching you. You set the snare while the bird's not there and doesn't see what you're doing. And then the bird flies into the snare. Watcha! You got him. They were setting a snare for Daniel and for the king. And they used flattery and chicanery. They, they were conspiring. 
They were the, the kind of guys who, who work through clandestine measures in the dark, just like the Pharisees who conspired to kill Jesus. They did it in the dark. They did their work in the dark where no one can see. They weren't open. They weren't transparent. They weren't forthcoming with their designs and plans. They were sneaky snakes. And that's why John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers because they slither around to do their bidding. And this is just like these guys that were conspiring to trap Daniel and conspiring to trap uh, the king, King Darius of Persia. But as the proverb says, when you do this, you're really just setting up a trap for yourself. And this is what plays out in the story. The king finds out he's shocked. He's just, ah, he's, he's really upset about what's transpired. He's not pleased. And the Bible says it's beautiful. It says he spent all day looking for legal ways to free Daniel from the punishment of being chucked into the lion's den. But he can't. He can't do it. These men hold him to account to the law, to the injunction that he himself made. And he's got to chuck Daniel into the lion's den. And so he makes the decree, okay, throw Daniel into the lion's den. The king fasts that night. He can hardly sleep. And he comes first thing in the morning to, to Daniel and to see what's transpired. Before we continue, I, I, do, I just want to read something from my Bible about the king's feeling for Daniel. It says in verse 14, Then as soon as the king heard this statement, that is, that Daniel was praying three times a day in spite of the injunction, he was deeply distressed. And he set his mind on delivering Daniel. I love that word, deeply distressed. Why? Because he valued Daniel. Daniel was a magnificent contribution to the Persian Empire. And he had an excellent spirit of service. And he wanted to bless people. And this isn't even his own uh, nation. Uh, He's a true and genuine man of God, and it can be seen. And the position-oriented, power-hungry guys hate it. And then it says he, he tried to deliver him even until the sunset. He kept exerting himself to rescue him. But then the men came and said, hey, this isn't going to fly. So the king gives orders, send Daniel in to chuck him and throw him into the lion's den. This transpires. And uh, before it does... The king says this to Daniel. Daniel, just imagine this man and imagine the moment. He's, he's been working his head off all day. He's been taxing his mind. He's been exerting himself fully to free Daniel, but it's just not worked. He's between a rock and a hard place and there's nothing he can do. And then he says to Daniel, Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. He can do it. Believe it. And I wonder how that affected Daniel. So the Bible says, A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. Then the king sealed it with his signet ring, and the signet rings of his nobles, the men who framed Daniel, were probably so satisfied with themselves. So it says, So nothing would be changed in regards to Daniel. Then the king goes off to his palace and spends the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. So he spent a sleepless night fasting and refusing entertainment or food. The king gets up at the crack of dawn, at the break of day. In verse 19, 
and he runs down to the lion's den. And it says, when he had come near, in verse 20, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. And as much as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Who, which person who, who knows the holy word of God would not see in the experience of Daniel being delivered from the den of lions, the story of Jesus going into the grave on behalf of the human race and being raised for our sakes. Notice what Acts chapter 2 says. It's, a, it's powerful. At the beginning, basically, eh, about a third of the way into to Peter's Pentecostal sermon. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, a Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, a man with a, an excellent spirit, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. So you conspired. You set a net for him. You set a trap for him. You plotted and planned to kill him. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Why was it impossible for Jesus to be held under the power of death? Well, because the sting of death is sin, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and the power of sin is the law, and Jesus never broke the law, not in thought or in action. He perfectly perfectly fulfilled the righteous law of God, which, the, which is the law of life, the law of love, the law of truth. So Daniel, he said, I did you no wrong, king, and I was found guiltless before my God in heaven. And so he shut the mouths of the lion, just like the mouth of the grave was shut in a sense, and Jesus was freed from the confines of death because he had done no sin. Interestingly, those who Jesus died for get the opportunity to accept what he did on their behalf. And even though they were a part of the plot to kill him through their sins and their guilt before God, they're offered the gift of repentance and the gift of forgiveness, you know, the opportunity for forgiveness and the gift of repentance. This is beautiful. The men who conspire against Daniel, we're going to see that they don't end up in the best place. Um, and, and neither will the people who reject the offering that God has given for them, the ransom payment that he has paid for them. Uh, okay, so just getting into back into the narrative here. The Bible says here, the king is thrilled. It says the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den. 
and no injury whatsoever was found on him. It's like Jesus raised from the grave, raised from the dead because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Now, I'm not going to try to comment. I'm not even going to comment on whether or not it was just or unjust or fair or unfair for King Darius to throw the family members of these conspirators or conspirators into the den, den of lions. But I do want to draw a spiritual lesson from this that I think it's important for all of us to understand. When we plot against God by plotting against those who he's using, we may have an influence that negatively affects, we may be influencing negatively those people around us who we love. Our attitudes, our disposition, our behavior affects our children, it affects our spouses, it affects our community. And, 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 and that, the influence that we have and that we exert on the people around, over the people around us can affect them one way or the other. And there may be a lot of people who are lost because of the influence of family members or friends who function similarly to these men who conspired against Daniel. So we better check ourselves when we're envious or bitter uh, or envious or jealous of somebody who we feel entitled. So we feel jealous. We've just got to be careful. I think we need to check ourselves. Because when we're envious of others, we may destroy ourselves. And at the same time, we might destroy those that we love. King Darius, he, he, he judges, he condemns the very people who are plotting against Daniel, the righteous Daniel with an excellent spirit who was there to serve and there to bless. And let's never, let's commit to never, by the grace of God, never function like these men function. Let's just be content with the ministry that God has committed to us. If a pastor or another church member gets a position that I covet, that I think I should have, I'm more qualified for, I have the correct qualifications, I, I should have that job. You know, we're, we're, how in the world could we think that God would inspire that spirit? Like that's the spirit of Satan. And ministers sometimes have that spirit. And church members sometimes have that spirit. And yeah, I've had that spirit. And God save us from that wicked, evil spirit of jealousy and covetousness. Thou shalt not covet. John the Baptist said it well when he said, no man can receive anything except for from God. John the baptizer was content in his lot. God assigned him a ministry and he performed that ministry. Did he have the endorsement of all the, the you know, all of the parts of the church? No, like, no. But people thought he was a prophet. They knew he was a prophet. He did what God asked them to do. And that was that. We should have that spirit, that attitude, that disposition. Just do our ministry. Do our work. I can give Bible studies. I can preach sermons. No matter what position or title I have, no matter who's above me or who's below me, I can be like Daniel and just do my work, develop an excellent spirit, give myself to God and follow Jesus fully 
and receive the power of the Holy Spirit so the law of God can be written on my hearts and I can go to heaven and live in eternity. I don't have to get involved in, you know, the politics of this world and the posturing and power playing of the world around me. I don't care if it's in the church or out of the church. I can just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus and walk above the water. Focus on Jesus and uh, and be changed from glory to glory. I can just focus on Jesus and all the poison in my body from the bite of the serpents can just, just be drawn out from me as I see that God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I can just live before God. I can serve before God. I cannot seek the I cannot worry about the honor of men. If it comes, if it doesn't come, who cares? Let me just strive for the honor of God. And like the Apostle Paul, whatever state I'm in, I can be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We are privileged to serve God. We're privileged to know God. We're privileged to have been atoned through the sacrifice of Jesus. Atoned for by the sacrifice of Jesus. Why don't we just praise God for that? Why don't we just serve God as a response to that? Who cares about positions and titles and this and that? That is so earthly, so wicked, so sinful. And it drives us to really unethical and nasty and sick behavior. So we just recently went through some, we've gone through some challenging times in the North New South Wales Conference. I just want to be, be really frank. No, it's not a secret. And there was a lot of pol- pol- political stuff happening before the session last year. And it was just so crazy. Websites were developed about Adventist people's voices and all this kinds of stuff. And really it was just political. It was just maneuvering and posturing. And there was so much stigmatization of certain people and individuals, youth leaders and whatever. And it's just power hungry world servers who want their way in the church. And I just say, forget all that stuff. Forget all that stuff. Serve Jesus, preach the gospel, live the gospel. And let God be God and us just be his servants. You know, it doesn't mean you don't speak the truth or lift up your voice, whatever. We should all do that. We have the right to do that. But the political maneuvering and the, you know, defaming other people and trying to set up traps for them. And man, there was so much of that going on. I just think God was sickened by it. He that seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake in the gospels will find it. Who in their right mind cannot see that passage coming to fulfillment in the story of Daniel chapter 6. My appeal to my brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters in the church, let's never stoop to the level of those conspirators. And let's always rise to the level by the grace of God, of Daniel. And if it, if it means losing our lives, lose it, whatever. You'll be resurrected. You'll be resurrected. In the name of Jesus, you'll be resurrected. If not now, in the first resurrection at the end of time. Let's just not worry about fighting other people, trying to get positions and be important and strategizing and whatever, man, conspiring to trap and to destroy other people. I just preach the word of God. And of course, that means rebuke, reprove, and exhort, surely. But uh, it doesn't mean stigmatize someone just because they're not on your political team. And that's what was going on with Daniel's conspirators. But he didn't stoop to that level. He stayed connected to God, focused on his Savior, and look what happened. Look what the result was. And that result will be the result for every single one of us who seeks to lose our lives for Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. God bless you all as you consider this week's lesson. May you be blessed as you participate in Sabbath school. May you be blessed as you teach Sabbath school. That's my prayer. Be strong for Jesus, strong for the word of God. Don't be a church politician 
or a low and shallow power player you know, who's strategizing and all this nonsense for power and position. Anyways, more can be said on that. I hope that you've heard the word of God to this commentary and that you're a little more inspired to share scripture and to be true. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Bye-bye.